Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. I am your host, Jordan Porter, and I'm joined by the positively radiant Yvonne Brandenburg. Hey, girl. I know. I jumped jumped on it. She's like, I swooped it. Yep. You thought you were going to do it. I did it. I know. Jeez. I know. How's your week been? It's been okay. I've been... It's of course we're talking about respiratory. So I'm dealing with respiratory stuff with my cat. Super fun. Why not? Um, then Kizzy or Nick? no Nicodemus. So he, um, so he has like a kind of chronic bronchitis asthma, mm-hmm. but it, it only flares up like maybe once a year, kind of a couple of couple of coughs and then it settles. And usually it's just a couple and then he's good. Well, the I think the air quality has just been really crap around here recently. And like the pollen counts up. And so last weekend, Saturday night, he started coughing and I was, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, he's got a couple of coughs. He's good. Well then like all throughout the night and into Sunday, he was like coughing and then doing this like weird reverse sneeze cough thing. And I was like, oh my God, like, I can't. Because, you know, he's on sub-Q fluids and PRED right now. So, of course, me being paranoid, I was like, oh, God, it's going into cardiac failure. Oh. So I took him to work on Monday just to make sure because I was like, I, I can't deal with that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so we just did, like, chest x-rays, and he had his first echo. Nice. I was like, how's he never had an echo? He's 18. <laughs> um Cause he had, and of course my doctor's like, Ooh, I hear a murmur. I'm like, he's never had a murmur before. So of course I was like, he's in heart failure. Um, but the, the cardiologist, uh, took a look at him. He's like, no, he's got some mild hypertrophic, um, cardiomyopathy, but like nothing major. He's like nothing I'd put him on meds for. Um, and you know, just check him again in like six to eight months. And yes, he can have sub Q fluids. Like that's not a problem. He's like, it's not his heart. That's making him a cough. And I went great. <laughs> like, that's what I need to know is it's not yeah. the heart. So we, um, we actually started him on some antihistamines. Cause he was just like, even Monday, he was still doing the weird reverse sneeze thing. And he just kind of felt punky. So he's been on the antihistamine since Monday and like, he's finally at the point where he's not doing any sneezing, reverse sneezing. So That's I'm like, good. all right, took you a week to get some antihistamines on board. And now we're not having respiratory things. God damn right. it. So yeah. <laughs> so that's been fun. <laughs> Other than that, just finishing up the respiratory course for VSPN. So I've been yeah. hyper-focused on respiratory this week. <laughs> Yeah, so, after all this, you're gonna be like, okay, I could deal without respiratory for a while. <laughs> <God>. Seriously. <laughs> so yeah, so that's uh so that's been my week. How about you? Um, other than puppies being gigantic. Yeah, they're like 10 pounds now. Now they're Holy starting crap. to like, you know, get into trouble and yeah. um chewing on my feet and chewing on my books and um chewing on everything. 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 You, you kind of hear them in the background. So They're cute. playing in the hallway. Cause I'm like, if they can just like, they love to get out of the room and like keeping them contained in this room now is becoming very difficult. Oh, I'm um, sure. So now I've just like accepted the fact that like, I either need new carpet or like, I mean, like I was going to have them professionally cleaned anyway, but I'm just like, at least the puppies have solid poop. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's oh like, God. it's easy to pick up and, um, but no, they're all playing very well and they go outside and play in the back. They love to play in the backyard. Oh my God. Um, so funny. They also like to make each other scream by chewing yeah. on their ears. Um, and every now and then Pooh will like reprimand them for being too rough with their siblings, which is funny. Aww. Because like Pooh will just be like, whoa. And like, they'll all just stop. And I'm like, they're like, oh, I know. Mom yelled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like amazing. That's um, hilarious. <laughs> 
But they're really cute. And I took Pua to work with me on Friday, um, partially because she just looked like she needed a break from the puppies and like I'm trying <sighs> to wean them anyway. And like, um, I was like, well, let's try to dry you up a little bit here. And uh, she weighs 85 pounds, which I'm like, wow. she doesn't, I mean, I guess I didn't expect her to be 85 pounds because she's still thin. Yeah. And, like it makes me really wonder like how much she weighed when like she was at her worst like right after she delivered the puppies because like she's so skinny yeah like yeah. she had to have been like 60 to 65 pounds like she was so thin oh my gosh it's so crazy yeah but she looks good and we we ultrasounded her because i was like I, I need to make sure that like heartworm treatment is the right next step for her mm. and um she looks good i was like I, I have no clue how old she is or like what condition she really is in so i was like right. watch she'd probably have like a splenic tumor especially because i'm like attached to her now and mm. like yeah but no so she clean good. clean ultrasound That's yeah good. even our heart actually looked pretty good we didn't see any heartworms but like i checked a blood smear just to i was looking for babesia really uh <laughs> right why would she not have that exactly <laughs> Um, but like, I could still see like, just, a, I only saw two microflare on the entire slide. Cause she's had two doses of heartworm prevention since I've had her. Oh, wow. Huh. Um, so in the first, I, one, like, you know, it's crazy is I've never seen microfilaria. Oh, really? Yeah. These ones were like itty bitty that it looks like whatever adult heartworms had just like popped them out, like right yeah. when I was drawing the blood. Cause I was like, these are like, they were tiny. They were, huh. Yes, slow kill method, but that first dose of heartworms, or heartworms, heartworm preventative, I swear, like, almost killed her. Like, that first Ugh. night, she was panting and coughing and restless and uncomfortable, and I was like, oh, my God, I just killed this dog. Oh, no! Like, <laughs> before oh she God. had puppies. That's so. crazy. But she's huh. doing good now. That's so crazy. Really huh. And she went on know. her first walk today. Like, her, me, the kids, and Zara all went on a walk and brought her, and, like, she's been on a couple car rides um and so she kept like walking to the cars every time we'd pass by a car or whatever <laughs> she's like where are we going <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah oh is this your car now oh no no okay maybe this one's your car now and like she's like yo i don't want to walk um where's the car <laughs> yeah well and then she finally like she's finally started walk watching zara because zara was walking in front of her and so zara was like stopping and sniffing every mailbox and like so then it it only took us like half a block before Pooh was like oh we're walking and we need to stop and sniff everything now. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. I figured awesome. it out. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah. I'm going to start walking her with Finn though to start like trying to socialize. So they stop trying to like murder each other. Yeah. 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 I can't. No, no. Socialization. I'm just glad I have two cats and not a bunch of dogs. Cause it's too- <laughs> so much trouble my cat I mean my cats are they're not that bad but kissy's kissy's obviously a young adult so he like does I he looks like he does parkour in my household right now it's really funny and then he'll like he'll come running up to Nikki and he's done it a couple times where he like lifts up in the air with both of his like front feet and then like tries to body slam Nikki and I'm like please don't break my old cat But then Nikki gets all grumpy and he'll like turn around. But then by the time he turns around, like Kissy's already like totally gone. Yeah. Like, already like okay. Something else. <laughs> no, he just like zooms around the house and yeah. like, so Nikki will turn the other way and then Kissy will come. It's hilarious. It's really funny. Nice. They just run in circles around each you other. You should get a video of that. Oh, you saw the video of all the oh, puppies running down the hallway? Yes. If you guys have not seen this video, definitely um, go to our Facebook page because <laughs> Jordan took this video of her son running down the hallway and then like <laughs> the puppies just come from around the corner and it's like yeah. slow-mo and it's like puppy craziness. It's so it's, it's that wasn't adorable. even all the puppies. Like there's, two I know missing. like, cause I was counting. I was like, wait a second. There's only 10 here, but it's great <laughs> because like it happened perfectly. Cause Katie came around the corner first. So you're like, Oh, cute. One puppy. And then it's like stampede. And then the entire herd comes around the corner. I watched that video so many times. Like it makes me so happy. Like because that Connor's face number one. Yeah, he's like, I'm being chased the puppy. Because he was like clapping too, because like they follow him whenever he claps. So like oh my God. 
he was loving it. I showed Bailey the video because she was at gymnastics when we took that video. Oh, funny. she's like, I'm so jealous. And I was like, oh, okay. we yeah. can do one with Bailey next. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> oh so, they're definitely getting more adventurous. It's it's a lot of fun, despite like the poop smell in my house. Like, which I had people over last night, though. And I asked everybody because they're my coworkers naturally. So I was like, does it smell like dog poop in here? And they're like, no, actually, it smells really good. And I was like, thank God. You're like, <laughs> yeah so anyway <sighs> puppies that was my week. I, I did my lectures too this week too i had a mash lecture and then i went ahead and recorded my acbim lectures so. oh nice oh yeah. awesome yay Woo-hoo. and acbim starts in like what two weeks i think yeah from I think one more recording um because acbim in case you guys don't know is june 9th through the 12th um jordan you have one lecture or two I have two. You have two lectures. And then we're doing a bunch of stuff with the Academy. Um, so yeah, definitely. If you are, if you're attending ACVIM, let us know, um, because we'll be at like, uh, we'll, we'll be at the general membership meeting as well as I think the Q and a, I know I'm going to be part of the Q and a, I don't know if you're going to be there for uh, that. Yeah. Um, but it'll be, it'll be fun. Like we'll actually be able to talk to some people and definitely check out Jordan's lectures. Do you know what day your lectures are? Mine are on demand. So you should be able to access them like as soon as, as soon as they go opens up. Yeah. Nice. Nice. What, what are your on, lectures? Like, actual, on? They're not on actual like medicine topics. The first one's client communication for the veterinary technician. Nice. And then the second one is like nursing care for the critical patient. Oh, nice. Yeah. Those are, all, those are really good. Sweet. Yeah, you know, so definitely check like those what out. we talk about on our podcast. Like, like, know, right? You're like, oh, this is like, easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, nice. I learned though, like when I was recording my lectures, how it's so easy for you and I to talk for an hour or like over. And I was ending and I was like, wait, this is only like 42 minutes. I was like, it's totally <laughs> different when it's, it's just so you. <laughs> I know for like trying to have like conversations. I'm like, I'm a big stickler on this and this and this because of this. And I was like, and I have nobody to like banter back and forth with. And like, I know I did, this, I did the same thing with VSPN, like, um, because uh, it's right now it's like four weeks in a row. Mondays, Monday evenings, we're doing. I do like the live lecture, but it's the same thing. Like, there's nobody to talk back with. Like, yeah. so it, it it feels totally different. I'm like, where's Jordan? <laughs> yeah. So maybe we can convince other uh, conferences to let us lecture together. It'll be right. easier. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be like, it's just like a regular podcast. Hi. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. I was like kind of freaking out about my time. I was like, why is this so hard? I was like, it's totally different. A couple times. And I was like, okay, like apparently I don't know how to talk for 50 minutes by myself. Right. Oh my God. So true. Yeah. It was was definitely interesting, but it was a fun experience. Like, yeah, it was cool. That's the first one that you've done like virtually, right? That's the first like actual like lecture lecture I've given Mm. in general. Got it. Okay. So I did like cool. three all like within the same three days. And I was like, <laughs> You're like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And there's my practice. <laughs> right. Oh my God. So funny. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of lectures and things, um, we'll jump into this week's episode. Um, we're going to be talking about pulmonary thromboembolism and uh, still not race approved yet. We are, we are working on that. Sorry guys. Um, it's been kind of a crazy spring. Uh, we are working on it and, but you for now, at least you can do, um, self-study in most places. So definitely check that out. Um, and then this will be, so this is episode 83, which I can't believe it's episode 83. I know, right? Also, like we're almost to a hundred. Um, but one of the things that just to kind of go back on, yes, yes. Take a look at the, basics of respiratory. Um, so that one, we, we did re-release that uh, a couple weeks ago. And then the other episode that would be good to listen to is episode 23, which is the coagulation episode. So coags balancing hemostasis, 
we talk about like clotting cascade and D-dimer and a bunch of stuff that'll play into pulmonary thromboembolism. So definitely um, check out that episode just kind of as a refresher for that part. Kind of definition of a pulmonary thromboembolism or PTE, we'll just, we'll probably refer to it as a PTE from now on. Um, it is an obstruction of one or more pulmonary vessels by a blood clot. Uh, there's, it, it's considered a secondary disease. Um, it's not really a, a primary disease because usually, well, not usually, because there is something else happening in the body that is causing a blood clot to form. Um, and they typically, one of the the common places for them to go is into the lungs, into the pulmonary vessels. You can get those clots to go other places, but, um, for the purpose of a PTE, we're talking pulmonary vessels, um, versus an FATE. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so the problem with PTEs is it, they're actually, it's really hard. Well, it's difficult to diagnose them. And a majority of the time, I think people just aren't looking for them. So they don't realize that that's played into the death of a patient. Um, so I think they're, it really, they don't have great statistics on PTEs, which kind of is, it sucks. Um, So the mortality rate, unfortunately, is very uncertain, but they think that it's significant. They're they're not, again, they're not 100% sure. Um, It's estimated that the prevalence of a PTE in dogs is approximately 1%, and then cats, it's 0.06%, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you think about millions of animals, (laughs) that's that's, that's more than we probably think that we see. Um, so I think, I think it's one of those, those things that, um, you know, if, if we have a patient that suddenly has some of the clinical signs we'll talk about, it's, it's good to kind of keep it in the back of your mind as something to potentially be thinking about with these patients. The problem is, um, survivability of a PTE really depends on one early diagnosis and two, early appropriate therapy, and three, the size of the clot that's happening. So if it's Mm -hmm. a tiny clot, it's a little bit better than like a bigger clot. So the um, tiny clots can cause like long-term effects, like pulmonary hypertension and Mm -hmm. pulmonary hypertension. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting because they think that part of the reason why they haven't been diagnosed as much is after dogs specifically, they didn't say this for cats, but for dogs, once they've passed away, there's a rapid fibrinolysis. So, Mm -hmm. um, the fibrin starts breaking down after death and that's, they think that's due to the higher tissue plasminogen activity. Um, and so they think that because of that, even if you do look like if you do a necropsy, you may not find the, the embolism or the, well, yeah, the embolism because it may already be broken down. So it's kind of just, or if it's too small and doesn't cause death and it leads to like pulmonary hypertension, yeah, then you're not, well, then you're treating pulmonary hypertension and not clotting. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and it's, and we'll talk about it. It is, it is hard to diagnose these, which is kind of annoying. So, um, so the, the thing with a PTE that's annoying. So in dogs and cats, there is a laundry list of diseases that has been associated with it. We really don't have a specific breed or, um, age specifically for, a PTE. Um, it really just depends on primary diseases and whether or not they have it. So obviously an older patient is going to have more of of these primary diseases than a younger patient, but that doesn't mean that a younger patient can't get a PTE. All right. Are we ready for this laundry list (laughs) of diseases 
that has been associated with PTEs. He, wait, (laughs) yeah. Are you ready for this? Okay. So we have protein losing enteropathy or neuropathy. So PLE or PLM. Because any protein losing disease is hypercoagulable. Exactly. We have heartworm disease because if you have a little heartworm that dies or whatever can cause a clot, uh, endocarditis. Um, so, uh, infection within the heart, a cardiomyopathy, so <laughs> muscle disease of the heart, uh, necrotizing pancreatitis, hypo, uh, or hyper corticalism, cortisolism. That's a weird, yeah. Hyper cortisolism. I guess I, I'm not used to saying it that way. So hypercortisolism, I can't even say it. Cushing's disease. Yeah. <laughs> Cushing's, exactly. Uh, hypo, hypothyroid, uh, disseminated intravascular coagulation, obviously, right? Like if you've yeah. got little clots going everywhere, it makes sense that it would go there. So DIC, systemic inflammatory response syndrome, SIRS, <sighs> immune mediated hemolytic anemia, sepsis diabetes, neoplasia, uh, arthrosclerosis, trauma, corticosteroid administration, indwelling intravenous catheters, major surgical procedures, or the easiest way to just say this, an inflammatory process in the body. (laughs) I was like, this is insane, this list. So basically any of these diseases can predispose your pet's or not pets well to your pets or your patients to a pte can i just like say though that this list is why and i am we never poke jugulars because we don't want to cause a pte <laughs> right from the clotting in the jugular that dislodges and gets thrown to the lungs like it's right. just yeah <sighs> um in cats uh the biggest things for them is cardiomyopathy neoplasia, and then FIP. Those are kind of the big three for cats, but if they have any of the other diseases can also do it. Right. Well, especially like an atrial like clot. Well, that's how they get fate, but I guess yeah. we'll talk about that when we talk about fate. Yes. Uh, and she keeps talking about fate. Fate is feline arterial thromboembolism. So not in the pulmonary system, but yep. in the artery. And it's usually, it's usually like saddle thrombus kind of thing. Yep. That's usually what we talk about. Oh, so sad. Ah, I mean, honestly, like it's very similar to this. It's just where the clock goes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so clinical signs, um, it's hard because because there's usually all those other primary diseases, the clinical signs for a PTE can be really vague and nonspecific, which is really annoying um, because it also depends on the size of the clot. So most of them are small clots and they're, and so most often they're subclinical. You can see mild to profound changes in respiratory system and that really just kind of reflects the severity of the cardiorespiratory compromise. So like mild to severe. I like that. Cause it's like, it could be panting yeah. to straight up respiratory distress and like, it could be, you don't even death. notice. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like that's the thing. Like if it's a tiny clot and it just goes down into like a little, um, capillary vessel, you may not even ever know that it happened. But if it's a larger clot, you know, depends on where it lodges. Like, does it, does it cut off circulation to like an entire lung lobe, you know? So it really just depends on how big, how big the clot is. You know, I'm really surprised that this is not a more common problem in like pugs and Frenchies (laughs) and stuff like that. Just because like pugs are prone to like lung lobe torsions and stuff like that. Mm, Like your whole lung lobe can flip, but you're not really prone to like throwing a clot in your lung. I don't know. I guess to me, I'm just like, (laughs) well, and that's the thing is like, we don't really know because honestly, like so many of them are undiagnosed. Well, that, and I think they're just uninvestigated after death anyway. Like a lot of, like how many, how many necropsies does your clinic do? I don't remember the last time I think we've sent in my entire, like six years. And I am, we've sent one patient out for necropsy. 
yeah, I think in our internal medicine department in the nine years I've been there, I've seen one or two patients get sent out from our department. Usually they're sent out from like the emergency department, right? Because there's some trauma or something, but from our department, I've, we've never performed a necropsy and we've Mm. only had a couple people asked to get them sent out. Yeah. We've only had one done and it was a puppy and we sent it. Um, one of ours was like a, a breeding dog. And so mm. <clears throat> they wanted to make sure that the others in the line didn't have similar issues because they didn't know what was going on. And so they, they sent it out for necropsy. But other than that, I mean, we, we don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which I don't blame. Like, I got to admit, if it were offered to me for one of my pets, I'd probably be like, no, like, no. yeah, I, I honestly, so because that's my one dog died was a PTE. At least that's my theory. Yeah. Right. That's yes. my thing. Like, I'm pretty sure my dog had a PTE and that's why we ended up euthanizing her. Yeah. And I thought about doing a necropsy because I was like, I, I just really wanted to know, but then I was yeah. like, nah, nah, I don't I mean, think I want to do it. <laughs> that's what I did too. Cause Rattler was like, he was almost 20 and he was perfectly fine. And then he just collapsed in the backyard and just like up and died. Well, he actually didn't die. He uh, had labored breathing, unresponsive. It, it was a stroke-like event. Like he was unresponsive, yep. neurologic, but screaming out like he was in pain and pain medications mm-hmm. didn't help. So, and like I said, labored breathing, he was cyanotic and stuff like that. This was, this happened shortly after I started working for my current place too. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things like I was there for, I guess I was there for six months because it happened the day after Christmas, of course. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he threw a clot because like we took chest films and like they looked weird, but it was one of those things where I was like, I'm not going to get a radiology report. Like he's suffering. Like let's just eat. Right. Like, yeah. Cause he's not coming to, and like, that was a bummer. Yeah. Well, well, I just and- brought down this whole episode. Let's <laughs> move on. No, don't worry. I'm sure I'll I'll cry at some point during this one too. We already talked right? about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's the thing. It's like, again, it depends on where it went, right? So you can see dyspnea, um, you can see tachypnea, and then depression. Those are kind of the big things that we see. The problem is the respiratory effort typically will mm-hmm. get worse two to three hours after the embolism has kind of lodged itself wherever it is. And part of the reason of that is, um, the lungs will do some compen- uh, compensatory me- mechanisms, right. That interrupts the blood flow to that area because mm-hmm. there's something going on. So the body is, uh, you know, and the problem with that is, well, then it makes it even worse. So, mm-hmm. um, because there's no oxygenation to that area. Exactly. Yep. So you get, yeah, <laughs> it's all sorts of bad. So, yeah. uh, but it's like the body's just trying its hardest. They're like, you yeah, know, like let's constrict down a little bit. Let's try to get this thing out of here. And then yeah. it's like, yeah. So there's coughing that's associated cyanosis, um, mm. hypoptosis or not hypoptosis. Hemoptysis. Hemoptysis. So That's coughing up blood. <laughs> yeah. Just say that coughing up blood, um, collapse shock, and then sudden death. So again, if it's a large enough clot, sudden death can happen. Um, so if again, depending on where the clot goes, you can have uh, focal or diffuse crackles on pulmonary mm-hmm. or on thoracic auscultation. Yeah. Rattler had crackles. Yep. I think my dog did too. I didn't yeah. actually listen to her. I didn't listen either, time. but it was just like, sucks when it's your, your own dog. The doctors just... did. I did not. Yeah. 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 But like, I completely like tech completely turned off. I was like, what do we do? Uh-huh. How do we help them? Well, the, the crazy thing for me is my dog was at my work and I was at another clinic when it happened. Oh no. Yeah. And they called me and they're like, something just changed. And I was like, what are you talking about? She and so just fine. Isn't yeah. And so part? she literally, by the time I got there was in an oxygen cage and like, I got there an hour early and she got worse. So yeah. Yeah. We <sighs> put Rattler in an oxygen cage. We tried to give him pain meds, which helped the screaming. Um, 
and then we reversed the pain meds to see if he was getting better or not or if he was just mm. out of it like he because he was almost like comatose like he was just yeah. well he was comatose like he wasn't responsive and so we reversed the pain meds to see if he would become responsive because we or if it was dose. the or if it was the medication yep but yep. he didn't and he just started screaming again and that's when i euthanized him it just sucks because that was matt's dog and like of course matt was like you know better you make the decisions and he didn't want to uh, be there and i was like this is your dog i don't uh, make the decisions <laughs> that's the worst but i'm like how <sighs> could i be upset he was almost 20 and he was perfectly yeah. i think the problem that had me and i think i've talked about this before was that he was perfectly fine. Like I literally had his blood work done, I think like a month prior. Mm -hmm. And for a 19, almost 20 year old dog, like he was perfect, perfect health. Yeah. So my, uh, so mine was Luna. Um, she was, I think she was like seven or eight years old at that point. Mm -hmm. But we had also been dealing with Evans syndrome for (laughs) three years up at that, (laughs) up until then. Um, And so we think because of the Evan syndrome and like all the drugs she was on that she, we, I'm pretty sure she had a foxtail that was in the back of her throat and she was kind of coughing because of the foxtail. Um, but her platelets were slightly low. So we didn't want to anesthetize her right away and try to pull out a foxtail. So we were going to wait a day or two for her platelets to come up and then, yeah. It's just the whole thing. So unfortunately it's one of those things where there was definitely an inflammatory response already working. Yeah. And then, and then it was just like, you know, through, through, through the body out of whack enough that she, she had a PT. So, but all in all, I got to say like the fastness of it, I would take any day over like just slow suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Like trying to decide day to day if it's time to euthanize or not. Yeah. That was the one thing that for us, like, it was the same thing. We're like, okay, this is obviously it. Yeah. Like (laughs) she's not going to get better quickly. Yeah. Um, if she gets better. So like, we didn't have to think very hard about that decision, but it's still, it's, it definitely sucked because you weren't like, yeah, you don't expect We figured we were going to have to make the decision and we were like, nope, she made the decision for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It definitely sucks because you almost feel like helpless because like there isn't a whole lot you can do, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Anyway, otherwise, so tachycardia can be present just as a result of hypoxemia, Mm. um, patient stress or increased workload for the heart. The heart is is trying to circulate blood. However, the lungs, like you said, are kind of closing off that area. Mm -hmm. It's like a construction zone. Like, Mm -hmm. um, so then you get the traffic jams like kind of elsewhere. So the heart's like redirect detour here. Um, if the pulmonary arterial pressures remain chronically elevated, just due to the PTE, the, uh, the animal can develop signs of like right-sided heart failure, um, which definitely can be noticed on, well, definitely may be noticed on physical exam yeah. as like ascites or pleural effusion because you get those leaky vessels. Yeah. Um, Cause again, the, the heart's trying to push blood somewhere, but there's like a blockage. So yeah, that it ha- like the backup needs to go somewhere. Yep. So that's where that right sided heart failure comes from because it yeah. can't get to the lungs depending on again, where the clot is. So that backs up into the right side of the heart. Yep. And then some animals, um, can have like significant increases in the right ventricular pressure. Um, and they can develop decreased cardiac output just to decrease due to the decreased left ventricular, like ventricle size, um, caused by the shift in intravas intraventricular septum as the right heart expands. So basically it's it's now forming the heart. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's more pressure on the right side. It's getting so the septum, right. The, But in between all of a sudden gets pushed into the left side. So then yep. the left, left side has less volume because it's being squished by the right side. Ooh. Yeah. Heart. All sorts of bad stuff. I know heart stuff. So if cardiac output drops though, because signs of- we have less pressure now. Yeah. Or overpressure in one side plus pressure in the other side (laughs) so um the signs of cardiogenic shock can be noted such as like prolonged capillary refill time so greater than two seconds Mm -hmm. um poor pulse quality god i see that all the time we had a dog the other day but it had pericardial fusion Uh, (laughs) decreased cardiac output 
Yeah, exactly. Dolmentation, low blood pressure may be noted on physical exams. The same thing. Like if you're feeling poor pulse quality, a lot of times I'll mention to my doctor, Hey, the pulses are very weak. Would you like me to get a blood pressure? And I do. And it's like 50 and I'm like, yay. Yeah. (laughs) Yay for cardiac output. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of crazy because again, it is all related, right? Airway, breathing, circulation, that kind of stuff. So, and most of the times it's, it's acute. It's not a, it's not something that sneaks up on an animal and like progressively gets worse. Like it just kind of happens. Cause again, that clot dislodges from somewhere, mm-hmm. um, and then goes to the lungs. So, yeah. So the interesting thing about this is, I mean, we're going to do lab work and stuff, but really like our differential diagnosis. And this is part of the, the hard thing is, you know, is it pneumonia that's causing the respiratory issues? Is it pulmonary edema? Is it hemorrhage yeah. into the lungs? Is it neoplasia, pleural effusion? Depending so on the a, time of the year too, it could be like, you're trying to rule out heat stroke. Like, yeah. So it's, it's hard because it, it, it does mask itself because again, it's usually a secondary condition. So the mm-hmm. problem is you have to like, you have to like deal with like the primary stuff. And then this is like a secondary thing. So it's like, is the patient getting pneumonia now because it's in a hospital or, you know, so there's, there's just so many parts of it that are difficult. And when we're talking about diagnostics, <clears throat> we don't have great diagnostics for a PTA, PTE, but it's part of the problem. Yeah. So we can do blood work. Um, we can do, um, an arterial blood blood gas analysis, which typically will show hypoxemia, um, in 80% of the dogs. So not all of them are going to show hypoxemia, but, but about 80% of them will. And then, um, again, ultimately it depends on the size of the clot. I mean, really? Yep. Um, and then the problem is response to oxygen it varies. So again, depends on where the clot is, how much of the lung is compromised. If we give that the animal oxygen, if it's a smaller clot, then the rest of the lungs can potentially oxygenate with the higher oxygen. And so that can happen. Or if it's a big clot, it doesn't matter how much oxygen you're pushing in, pushing at them there. They, they can't get that gas exchange. Mm-hmm. Because, because the blood's not going there. Yeah. Construction <laughs> so, zone. Like it yes. is a no, do, do not cross go zone. <laughs> exactly. So, um, the analysis will reveal hypoxemia. Sometimes we'll see hypocapnia. Cause again, it's not exchanging the way it should be, or they're panting all those things. Right. So in, mm-hmm. inefficient gas exchange. And then the problem is a normal blood gas value doesn't mean that it's not a PTE. Yep. Yay. <laughs> because like we said, like they can throw small clots and you might not ever know that it's like a it's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other things that you can do uh, is imaging. So uh, chest x-rays can be normal in nine to 27% of dogs and about 9% of cats with PT. So normal x-rays does not rule out <laughs> PT. I mean, luckily though, the Ooh. percentage of normal is pretty low, but again, it is, I, but I, I mean, I imagine that again, it has to do with, like I said, Rattler's x-rays looked funky, mm-hmm. but like, you can't specifically say like, there's so many yeah. x-rays we've sent out for a possible PTE and even the radiologists like, maybe <laughs> like, yeah, maybe let's keep going with diagnostics. And you're like, great. <laughs> you were super helpful. <laughs> Sorry, radiologist. Yeah. No, 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 no disrespect, man, but yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 So sometimes what you'll see with a PTE is like a alveolar interstitial pulmonary infiltrates. So again, is it pneumonia? <laughs> yeah. Um, or you'll see some hypovascular, uh, areas within the lungs. So yeah, kind of what you, we saw on Rattler was just like hypovascular. Like it just looked, yeah. You know, sometimes though, I thought too, you could see even like hypervascular where you could just really see the lung vessels really well because like pressure. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, again, it, it depends. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could do an, uh, echocardiogram, um, and that can look for if they have a PT and you see pulmonary hypertension. So again, we talked about that. So the right ventricle is dilated. You've got pulmonary, uh, pulmonary artery and inferior vena cava are bigger. Um, you know, it's just, there's a lot of stuff. So the other thing too, is like, you can potentially see the septum of the heart actually move. So, um, the pressure from the right side is again, pushing on the septum and you can actually see the, the wall and moving, yeah, but again, do that. <laughs> a normal echocardiogram does not exclude a PTE. Yay. This is like what you're going to hear with most of these diagnostics. Right? <laughs> um, and the other one, the other one that's kind of the quote unquote gold standard for this is a CT angiogram. I wonder if this is gold. Is it gold standard for dogs or is this like gold standard for humans? Cause it's one of those things where like, I feel like in veterinary medicine, we'd be super hesitant to anesthetize a patient like clinical. Uh, it's for both. The yeah. problem is most places don't have CT. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's it requires... like, do you really want to anesthetize them? Yeah. Cause it requires contrast and stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the other problem is like, you know, are you going to anesthetize them to look for this? You know, the, you got a risk benefit analysis, you know, but if it's a smaller thrombus, you know, you may, may not have as much respiratory compromise. Um, but again, if it's too it. small, <laughs> you may not see it. Yes. So again, this is like, so the dogs who have <sighs> large ones or cats have large ones, they're going to be more clinical, also less likely to be stable enough to be transported to mm-hmm. someone with a CT. Yep. And then the dogs <laughs> who aren't as clinical likely have a small thrombi and then you're likely to miss it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Woo! Super fun. <laughs> this is why I didn't do that much stuff with Rattler. I was like, okay. I know. I know. Well, and it's, it's crazy because they talk about MRI, like, I guess they use MRI a little bit with people, but, um, interesting, you know, do they do it with animals? Meh. The other problem is, you know, MRIs take significantly longer. Yeah. I was going to say, I guess anesthetize that whole time. If you really do have like a compromised patient though, a lot of them aren't moving a whole lot. And if your CT is good, it should take a minute. Yeah. Maybe. So maybe you could get away with not anesthetizing. That'd be interesting. I would love to see someone who's like. So, but the only problem is like, if you're doing chest CT, they have to hold their breath. Yeah. They can't be panting. So you do have to anesthetize them and hold their breath for that time. Otherwise the moving artifacts going to be. No, I guess that wouldn't work. I was going to say, I wonder if doing like, instead of doing necropsy to find one, you could do CT, but you'd have to, you'd have to have circulation for contrast to mm-hmm. go through that's a bummer mm-hmm. cause like that would be so simple to like quickly just put them on there and like scan real quick yeah but you don't have any circulation to yeah move your contrast Ugh, this disease sucks yeah <laughs> let's move on <laughs> <laughs> um some special tests you can do but again does not diagnose it cause again I want to be disclaimer. I know none of these things are definitely (laughs) going to diagnose it. So if there is a massive clot, right. Um, you can see PT, um, and PTT, um, elevations, like it changes. I'm going to say changes because they can be shorter. Um, if they're hypercoagulable, right. Yeah. But it could be normal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so you can do a PT, PTT, but again, may not give you an answer. Uh, tag also yeah. <laughs> can be done. Um, and you can see if maybe they're hypercoagulable, but they don't point specifically to a thrombus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do a D dimer. D-dimer is, um, one of the things that we've talked about before. Yeah. It's probably of the lab work going to be the most relevant, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so basically what, it, what a D-dimer is, is it 
measures the amount of um, clot breakdown in in the body. So mm-hmm. if there's elevated fibrinolysis or fibrinolysis, excuse me, um, that means that there's more clots being formed. So in theory, if you have more clots, you're going to have more of the fibrinolysis to break it down. So an elevation in it is going to tell you that there's more clots. We, um, I do remember we had a patient that had a smaller PTE, Mm -hmm. um, that we actually saw on CT like a long time ago. Um, and we did D dimers to kind of monitor for the breakdown of the clot. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's just, I mean, that's that would I mean. be like an ideal situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was <laughs> to say because, like, in an emergency situation, the only reason yeah. why we don't do it is because, unfortunately, like, like I've drawn for it and sent it out. It takes the like results three don't... to five business days. Yeah, I think. like the results don't come back, so either the patients yeah. are better or dead, and it's right. Like... You're like, great, cool. I'm so glad I did that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the problem is. There's also been recent studies that have showed that the D-dimers don't always support (laughs) for patients with a PTE, yay, Um, and that low D-dimers have also been seen with these patients and increased D-dimers have not had a confirmed PTE with necropsy. But again, I mean, I guess it's hard to confirm with necropsy all the time. And it has a, it's one of those things where it's like in situations like this, you're like, I like research, but like, could you not like, like everything my- like you can, you can <laughs> like, do all these things, but none of them may work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's all the, t- I mean, like, if that's not internal medicine though, like here, do all these tests, but we still might not have an answer. I know. Well, and I feel like PTE is like the worst of them. Well, yeah, because like, <laughs> you don't really diagnose anything. Like it's not even like you rule it because you you didn't rule it out either. So it's like the only one that I saw that was like really good was nuclear scintigraphy. So it's very like the thyroid testing. Yeah. So they they did exactly. So they did these, I think they're x-rays, but it's like, you, you give the, the, the dye, the nuclear scintigraphy dye, and it shows the lung pattern and it shows the perfusion during ventilation, which is interesting. And so you can see if a section of the lung does not have perfusion there. Um, so it was interesting because you could see one that looked normal and one that didn't look normal. But honestly, I don't even know where nu- nuclear scintigraphy is around me. Like, I have no idea. I'm guessing maybe UC Davis. Yeah. But other than that, idea. there's nothing around me that has nuclear scintigraphy. Um, and then the other one is necropsy. Which we've already explained. You might not find it. Exactly. Because again, depends on how small the clot is and whether or not it's already broken down by the time you get there. Which is super yep. cool. So yeah, so diagnosing a PTE sometimes is exactly how Jordan and I diagnosed our dogs. You see all these clinical signs and they point to a PTE. So you just go, we're pretty sure this is what happened. Yeah. Because it's good enough for me in the situation. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I'm like, all these things point to this. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with that because nothing else makes sense, which is really annoying. Um. But yeah, just so frustrating. Yeah. So treatment, there's treatment's not a great thing. So unfortunately, most of it is going to be supportive care. Um, It ideally would be started as soon as possible. Um, So we want to support the respiratory and cardiovascular system. Um, So fluid therapy, oxygen therapy, um, if they've got like pulmonary hypertension, starting something like sildenafil to help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if we're noticing that we're hypercoagulable, starting an anticoagulant can help. Um, but yeah, heparin doesn't actually help break down existing clots. No. Um, neither does warfarin. 
No, it just um, prevents them from forming. Yeah, it prevents more, more from <laughs> forming. But um, but there are antiplatelet drugs that we actually use a lot of in IM just with our patients mm-hmm. that seem prone to throwing clots, mm-hmm. uh, such as like aspirin or clopidogrel can be given um, together with, but not usually like in lieu of anticoagulant therapy. Um, And I feel like um, the aspirin and clopidogrel we give to our patients that we think are going to be hypercoagulable. So we've done a tag and we've noticed that they're hypercoagulable, right? Or they're, they've got some of those other, the laundry list of diseases that we talked about and we're like, Ooh, let's just start this medication. Yeah. Any PLE prevented. <laughs> any PLE or PLN patient that has like an albumin lower than I think, what's my, what's my doctor's like. Ooh, the cutoff. Yeah. I think his cutoff is like 2.2. 2. Yeah. Like, I can't remember what ours is. Maybe it's, maybe it's, just two. It could be two. I think it's just two. Yeah. If it's lower, if albumin's lower than two, then we'll go ahead and start some antiplatelet drugs. But that's all they are is they're antiplatelet drugs. Like they're mm-hmm. so, if you remember from our COAG episode, like platelets are like the first response team. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the band aid. <laughs> they don't mm-hmm. like, they're, they're not the clot itself. So exactly. it's, it's not really preventing clotting, it's just preventing platelets. Yeah. Forming. So in theory, the, the, the clots would be smaller if they're yeah. going to have them. Well, because platelets have to trigger the clotting factors to come to the site too. So mm-hmm. if you're preventing platelets from going to the site, then you're pre- in theory, preventing the clotting factors from coming to that site too. But yeah. The other thing that, um, you can use in clinic, um, is, a thrombolytic therapy. So, uh, if we suspect a PTE, right. Um, we can use streptokinase. Um, it, and I think there's an, uh, I don't remember if there's another one, but, um, I think it's tissue plasminogen activator. I don't know. I've never used that one, but I've definitely heard of streptokinase. And basically what you're doing is you're, you're going to give this drug to help break down clots that are in the systems, which is kind of scary, honestly, Um, because it's not like it's just going to go to the PTE. It's going to go to any other clots. Well, because you just have to be very careful with these patients. Well, and as we talked in the coagulation episode, in the platelet episode, like as you move your body you're forming like little micro tears everywhere and mm-hmm. your body is constantly clotting those areas that it really should not bleed. But if you start drugs like that, then those little tiny areas can bleed very easily. Yeah. Yeah. Not scary at all. Not scary at all. Yeah. And these are the ones that you're monitoring really closely. Um, and <sighs> streptokinase, I, I think most places don't keep it in their clinic, first of all. And second of all, you know, it, it does take a little time to work, especially if there's a larger PTE that you're dealing with. So it, they're, they're PTEs just suck. <laughs> um, <laughs> <This> episode sucks. <laughs> yeah. And as far as like outpatient care, I mean, honestly, comfort, comfort you can try the antiplatelet drugs or anticoagulants pain management. Um, for long-term pain management. If they are painful, not all of them are. Um, so, you know, maybe some bronchodilators, if they've got um, uh, pulmonary hypertension or sildenafil. So it's just supportive care really. Um, and close monitoring and following up surgical intervention, I mean, in theory, you could do surgery to go through a blood vessel to go up and try to remove the clot, but I've never seen that work in animals. I, I know they do that with humans, but it's, it's not I've really, seen, I actually thing. went to a lecture on it. God, I don't remember who gave it, but it was at ACVIM the year that mm. I tested. So 2019, I guess, um, about it was like vascular dilation and this like nifty tool that 
you insert into the vessels to break down these clots. They use it mostly in not pulmonary thromboembolism, but feline arterial thromboembolism, just mm. because it's in a bigger artery usually. Yeah. Um, but the prognosis is still like pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. cause you got to think though too, even like breaking up those clots, like break, they have to go somewhere. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's like a vacuum behind the thing that's doing it and just be like, I'm going to suck those clots out. Nope. Those clots are going somewhere. Cause could you imagine too, like you'd have to like carefully make sure you didn't suck out the patient's blood, like, You're especially like, oh, in a cat, okay. like just like, yeah. Like one little foul swoop of a vacuum and it's like, <laughs> you're like, oh, it's exsanguinated. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. God, this whole thing is just scary. And it's like, I have mild anxiety right now. Ugh, Cause you yeah. know, like if I, I swear, if I get a PZE patient this week, I'm going to be upset. I know. Well, and that's the thing is like, how many go undiagnosed? Like it just sucks. Like, cause respiratory cases, I always tell my boss, I'm like, I don't like respiratory cases because so many of them, like we always see them like when it's like so far gone and right. I just feel like yeah. I'm watching a patient suffocate to death. And I hate it because it always takes clients forever to decide, which I get because most of the time they were like normal before. And now they're, mm. they're just like in respiratory distress, but I hate watching pit like patients struggle to breathe. Yeah. Like it's the worst for me. And like, those are usually the days that I cry at work. I'm like, I don't like it. Like it just probably cause like, I guess I've had those days where like I've struggled to breathe Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's terrifying. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing too, is like some of these patients, if they do have it, the problem is, is they can get respiratory fatigue. Um, so uh, even if yeah. they're in the oxygen cage, if they're just, you know, they're just struggling to breathe, like their muscles eventually can just get tired. Um, and, and then they breathe worse. So it's, it's hard because the clot doesn't automatically start going away. Like it has to break down and it can take a while to break down if it's a larger clot. Um, but the problem is, is like the tissue damage has already kind of occurred down mm-hmm. the line. So there's that too. So it's, it's, it's definitely a difficult thing. Um, and it's one of those things too, like, especially, you know, we talk about IMHA a lot, like IMHA patients, they need, like the clients need to be told that a PTE is very, very yeah. possible. Yeah. Like our PLEs, our PLNs, like they need to be aware that these are very possible. And if they see a Any sudden symptoms, change yeah. in their respiratory, like they need to bring them in. Um, so it's, it's hard because like long-term with these guys, <sighs> Again, I've had one patient long-term do okay. Um, but the, again, that was a small clot. So it's, it is a lot of times just quality of life. Like how severe is it and how bad is it? And again, if it's bad enough, most of them, unfortunately end up either dying or being euthanized, which kind of sucks a lot. Kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, yeah, I just don't like these cases. Like I just don't, I feel mm-hmm. for the patients and like, Ugh. yeah that's all, have, that's all i have to say <laughs> um so i'm gonna say cautions for this one is uh most likely it's gonna get worse before it gets better um so that's just something to be aware of it's the tip of the week i think tip of the week should be know your diseases that are prone to pte mm. formations just because there's a lot of diseases that actually like can like make these patients potentially get a PTE, like our cushionoid patients, IMHA, mm-hmm. ITP, uh, diabetics, um, anything yeah. that IMC is <laughs> all those and, inflammatory diseases. Yay. Yeah. Like, and then of course, like our low protein diseases, like, Oh, it's mm-hmm. just frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, severe honestly- pancreatitis because it's the inflammatory mm-hmm. process. Oh, I'm yeah. Like, so, you know, monitoring your, your, your viscoelastogram, right. To see, you know, are they becoming hypercoagulable? Um, then maybe we start drugs before the clot starts forming. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's what I would say. And now for the question of the week, anybody have a cute, happy story from this week of a wonderful patient that you've seen? <laughs> there we go. 
let's go with our mental health. Keep yeah. happy, patient, and um, tell us about something amazing that you've done. Let's yeah. Yeah. What was your win this week? That's a good one. All right, guys. Have a wonderful week. We hope that you don't have to deal with any PTEs. Um, but if you do, maybe you've got a little bit more insight. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.